Hello, and welcome to Central College Presents, the home of all things Central College Presbyterian Church in Westerville, Ohio. From sermons and interviews to announcements and original content, Central College Presents is your location to find out what's going on at the CCPC campus. Consider joining us for Sunday services, both contemporary and traditional, via our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash ccpchurch, that's with three C's, or follow along with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash centralcollegechurch, or take a look at our website at www.ccpc.us. Thank you for your support in helping CCPC's mission of making the kingdom of God visible in all that we do. Now, on with the show. How great he is. You know, I heard that they're going to blast the trumpet. I don't know what it's going to sound like that, but it sounded pretty good, right? Well, good morning. Great to have you with us for worship this morning. Band, thank you so much for leading us into God's presence today. If this is your first time joining us, a special welcome to you. Uh, really glad you're here. I uh, hope you caught some of Will's announcements and you know how to go on to the uh, chat and make a connection. We certainly want a bigger connection with you than just this virtual one, right? So just drop us a note. You can always feel free to contact me directly at jimsapay at ccpc.us. And uh, I'd like to even ask you to connect with us through this special gathering. We're starting this Thursday, uh, the 28th at 7 p.m. Uh, we're going to watch this uh, special YouTube series that came out. It's called The Chosen. I don't know if you've heard about it before, but it's a extremely refreshing and insightful look uh, into the life of Christ and his early followers. And uh, uh, we purchased the DVDs. Uh, each uh, episode's about 40 minutes. And so uh, we'll have plenty of time to watch it, discuss the content, make a good connection with each other. And I I'd really love for you to, you know, give that a try. Well, we certainly had another significant week in our country, right? The, the swearing-in of our 46th president and the first female vice president. And thankfully, things were uh, calm, you know. Uh, the inaugural was just so encouraging. I hope you got a chance to watch it. If you didn't, you still go back, uh, especially hear the poem by Amanda Gorman, this 22-year-old young gal, The Hill We Climb. Wow, how inspiring. And, and, you know, the vaccine is getting uh, rolled out, uh, especially with the new strain that's now been reported uh, in the Columbus area. <laughs> because of my work uh, with National Church Residences, I got my uh, first shot this uh, past Thursday. And, uh, yes, uh, you can't see my pipes as big right there. But, uh, woo, it was sore afterwards. But it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> as a church, uh, you know, we, we launched a new sermon series a couple weeks ago. It's called On Mission. It's really our response to try to emphasize the, the passions and priorities we want to be pursuing in, in the days ahead. If you've not uh, been with us, then maybe you didn't hear this statement, but hopefully we'll get all familiar with it. it it's very simple. It's, it's our mission is to live out the gospel by reflecting Jesus' love, uh, seeking God's righteousness, and pursuing kingdom justice. Now, we've talked about uh, you know, living out the gospel and reflecting Jesus' love. Both of those messages are still available on our YouTube site. If you uh, get a chance that you, know, you didn't see them, you want to check them out, it'd be great to. But today I want to press in on this idea of 
seeking God's righteousness as opposed to seeking our own righteousness. Now, now at first brush, this, this might, you know, not seem like all that interesting or relevant of a topic to you. Besides, righteousness sounds like some $50 religious word, right? <laughs> that I'm not even sure I know what it means, let alone how it relates to my life. But, but think of it this way. Everyone wants things to go right for them, right? They, they want to feel right about themselves and about their life. And righteousness or making things right is just how you go about doing that, how you work to make that happen. And for the most part, folks generally embrace one or two ways, right? Either they follow and conform to some stated path, some code of conduct, you know, spiritual or religious requirements like praying, giving alms, you know, maintaining a moral high ground, or they do it their own way. You know, they, they cobble together some values and beliefs. They, they mix them and match them, or, you know, whatever works best for them. And then they roll the dice and say, hey, do what you think is right. That's righteousness. That, that's basically how it goes. Either it gets codified or it's carefree, but in the end, it's our attempt to make things right in this crazy world. Well, well, Christianity comes along and makes this outrageous claim that God has broken into human history, and he did so not just to rescue humanity from the highway of hell that we're on, but to show us a different path. A, a way that for some reason has gotten covered over or lost. And as a result, we're all lost. The religious and the non-religious, the moral and the immoral. Well, in Luke chapter 15, Jesus talks about being lost. He talks about a lost sheep and a lost coin, and then he tells a, a story, which quite possibly is one of his most famous, about a couple of lost sons. Now, there's a little bit of irony in this story right from the start, because even though its emphasis is on being found, so often we only hear about the one son who's lost and found, and yet the story clearly tells us there's two sons. And it seems like the second son remains lost, or at least the verdict is still out on him. Today, I want to see if we can uncover how everyone can be found, regardless which son you identify with. I'm going to ask Will to come back up and uh, Mike Clark, our band leader, to come up, and, and they're going to read the passage for us today from Luke 15. Now, the passage talks about the younger son. That's the unrighteous one. That's Will. And, and the older one, the self-righteous one, that's Mike. And so I'll let you determine how much they relate to those things. But nonetheless, listen to the text today. Not long after that, the younger, the younger son got together and all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country. 
who had sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and, and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and, and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, my wayward brothers. Well, you've probably heard part of this story before, right? Typically the part of the younger son living in the pigsty. But there's a whole other half of the story. Actually, there's three characters that we need to talk about today if we're really going to see how it speaks to us about seeking God's righteousness. So here's what I want us to think about together, okay? The unrighteousness of the younger son, the self-righteousness of the older son, and the gift of righteousness from the father. Now, if you uh, remember the story, uh, uh, you know, G Jesus is, is uh, making a point, okay? This is, this is a story he made up. So I don't want us to get so into the details that we get distracted. You know how that can go? Like, hey, what city do you think he went to? How much money did he get? And how could the older brother not know what was going on? And what's up with that father that both of his kids got these issues? <laughs> That's what I mean by being distracted. Sometimes Beth and I will watch a TV show and we'll discuss the details like it actually happened, like they're real people. It's entertainment. Okay, this is instruction. This is an explanation. Jesus is wanting us to learn something about ourselves and, more importantly, about God. So let's start with the unrighteousness of the younger son. You know, by this story starting out with the younger son asking for his inheritance, you know, his share of the estate, well, that was a real shocker. Talk about an intention to get her because in the ancient world, that could only mean one thing. I don't want a relationship with you anymore. I just want your stuff. 
How's that for rejection? Isn't that the essence of rebellion? That I'm sick and tired of living under your roof, under your rules. I want to do things my way, but I still feel entitled and owed your blessings, my inheritance. So by asking for his share, you know, he, he, he's, you know, his cut of the family farm, he's not just separating himself, not like he's growing up and moving out. No, he's severing. He's making a complete break. And isn't that what sin really is? A severing of our connection with God? Choosing something over him? That's why the specifics aren't so much the issue, the choices we make or the things we refuse to do. Because it all comes down to the same thing. It's rejection and rebellion. That's why the Bible speaks to us to repent of our sin, not just our sins. Oh, oh don't get me wrong. Uh, apologies should always be specific. You know, those general, I'm sorry, isn't nearly as healing to a relationship as when you say, I'm sorry for the way I talked to you or treated you. But when you're not in a relationship, you know, or, or when it's totally broken, the repentance that needed is your decision to return. We can work through all the specifics once your heart has changed and you want to be connected once again. So, so don't, don't miss this, okay? Unrighteousness at its core is relational. It's not moral. So, Because I'm choosing something over you, over others, over the family or the community. Remember that definition of sin? Sin is what I do when I'm not satisfied with God. So this man's thinking was, hey, I, I can do it better, okay? I, I can be happier, more fulfilled when I'm on my own, when I, when I can throw off your restrictive and outdated rules and live and let live. He's seeking a righteousness on his own terms. And if you took a picture of his life, you know, a Twitter or Snapchat post, life looked pretty good for him when he was living high on the hog, Right? but not so much when he was living with the hogs, right? When those chickens come home to roost, and they always do. And eventually, he hit bottom. Now, now here's the amazing thing about hitting bottom, is that sometimes you break. Sometimes you come to your senses, and you're able to admit you're wrong, that you need to return and you do it without an attitude of entitlement anymore, without saying I'm owed or deserving of anything. Listen, humiliation can help us to be humble, and humility can help us to be honest. And so the younger son decides to return. He repents. Well, how about the older son, you know, the one that's often overlooked? What's his deal? Well, besides being the oldest, which in the ancient world meant, you know, as the firstborn, he, he was raised to, to be, take responsibility for the family, to carry on the family name, the family business when the father would eventually die. Uh, and he was uh, given more of the inheritance, typically two-thirds, and the younger would have gotten one-third. 
And that's many ways how the story portrays things, right? The, the older son sticks around. He, he does what it's expected of him. But as for his relationship with the father, it's basically non-existent. It's just a means to an end. You know, he, he, he too is just concerned about the family's stuff, getting his portion. And he's just as controlling and is just as self-focused as the younger brother. It's just that you don't see it as easily because his separation, his selfishness isn't in your face, at least not at first, right? But he's trying to establish his own righteousness. He, he's trying to make things right for himself by doing everything right. Doesn't that sound good? I mean, what, what's wrong with that? I mean, well, well, for one, no one can do everything right. But in our minds, if I think, well, as long as I'm more right than you, then I'm righteous. I'm better than, I'm superior. I can be proud and judgmental. And I can easily say, I deserve, I'm entitled. And so when someone else gets blessed, when they get ahead, and I don't think they should have, I don't think they deserve it, well, envy starts to creep in. And even worse, resentment and anger will surface. So when the younger brother returns and the father wants to show him grace and mercy, well, the older brother's self-righteous colors come out. His grid has no room for grace. Forgiveness doesn't factor in because it isn't about the relationship. It's about the rules and the righteousness of doing everything right. So when you break them, you should get what you deserve. You can come back. That's fine. But you better know your place. And it's in the doghouse with the servants, right? Because you failed. You didn't measure up. You, you certainly don't deserve a, a robe and a party. Listen, did you see this? He, he's not happy that his brother is back. He's not happy for his father or the family. He doesn't even call him brother when he talks about him. And he's more concerned with how it impacted his share of the inheritance than his brother's place in the family. Did you catch how he viewed his working for the father, his staying around the farm? It was slavery. I slaved for you. So it's all restrictions and rigidity. He, but he endured it. So his moral uprightness now makes him entitled. What did the brother, younger brother do to deserve what he's getting? Nothing. And that doesn't make sense in his worldview. No wonder he's angry. Haven't you noticed that grace grates against people? This idea of restored citizens? What do you mean? They're ex-offenders, and they'll always will be. A divorced pastor? you got to be kidding me, you know. Or a, even a female boss is not appropriate. Or a black president. Our smugness and self-righteousness is often cloaked in these high-sounding words about tradition and pious principles. And our emphasis is on consequences, certainly not celebrations. But you notice how separated the older son is 
from the Father. He's not conforming anymore, right? He's not with the Father at the party in the welcome of his brother. So who's bringing shame and disgrace to the Father now? He's just as separated and as strange from the Father as his younger brother was when he was miles away. Only the older brother's just a few feet away, but just as far, just as lost. Maybe more so, because he hasn't come to his senses. He still feels wronged and entitled, uh, deserving. He's still proud of his actions and his obedience. Listen, it's his goodness that's keeping him away. That's why I call it self-righteousness, because it's all about self. It's all about selfishness, yes, and it's just as sinful as the younger brother. His, you know, the, the heart is harder to see, right? You, you can look good on the outside. You've come to church. you got your jacket on. You look good. Your family all looks together. And what did Jesus say? You can be full of dead man bones on the inside. Do you know Jesus told this story because he wanted both sons to return? He said both sons were separated from the father. Both were prodigal, the immoral and the moral, the irreligious and the religious. And the father wanted them back. Luke 15 starts this way. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So you got the two groups. And then the text goes on to say, and so Jesus told this story. So let's look at the gift of righteousness from the Father. Again, some of the specifics kind of need a cultural interpretation for us to grasp their significance. But, but I think we can still get it, right? I mean, if your kid asked you for their inheritance, what you've put away in your will, and they wanted it now, would you load them down with all kinds of money and send them out the door, right? I, I doubt it, right? But, but that's what happened here. The, the, the father sold, cashed, mortgaged, borrowed, did whatever to give his son what he asked. Even though his heart was crushed and broken, you know, but he knew trying to force him to stay, he'd never be with him. So he had to take the greatest risk imaginable, right? He had to let him go and know if he ever would come back, it would have to be on his own terms, in his own heart. Love always leaves the door open. You can't hold anybody. And when the son finally decided to come back, did you notice what happened? Did you hear it? Listen again, verse 20. So he got up and went to his father. This is the son's decision. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. If you only hear one verse today, this is the one I want it to be. Because a lot of us didn't have a father like this. You know, we, we came home, we were dragging our tail between our legs, waiting for a tongue lashing or worse. But this text tells us something that still surprises us, right? The father ran. I mean, mothers run and kids run, but dads don't run. They 
hold it together all the time. And they certainly don't show this kind of affection and emotion, but this father did. And even before the son could, you know, recite his big long speech about how he'd wronged God and this father and the family, you know, the father's already restoring him. He's already giving him his best. He's giving him his robe and his ring and his sandal. And did you notice there's no earning it? There's no working for it, no groveling or begging for it. It's just receiving it. It's just being smothered with love and forgiveness. It's almost too much to imagine. And that's the point. This is the gift of righteousness. The Father is making everything right. Their relationship, the son's status in the family and in the community, the Father is restoring everything. Now, let's not forget about the older brother because the Father's love is every bit on display for him. He's been rejected, right? The, the, the circumstances are different. The, the older son is, is hurt and disappointed. He's angry. And so the Father goes to him. He had to wait for the younger one to come. But the older one, he, he comes to him. He, he initiates with him. And he speaks tenderly to him. He tries to explain to him about grace how rightness in their relationship is always a gift to be received, not a reward or a wage to be earned. But from the older son's perspective, it's tainted his understanding and his attitude toward his father. And so now the older son is really faced with a similar decision like the younger, right? Can he see that he's wrong? Can he humble himself and return? That's how the story ends. Now, there's a lot more I could say about it, but let me just see if I can wrap things up with just some final statements and some applications, okay? Here they are. Righteousness is a gift because of God's initiating love. Repentance is always about returning, and reconciliation always involves a sacrifice and a celebration. What does that mean for us? What does it mean for you and me? For us as a church, where we're supposed to be about seeking God's righteousness. Well, for one, it means that we're going to initiate, right? We're going to invite. We're going to go the extra mile to make room for the religious and the irreligious, for the moral and the immoral, for the unrighteous and the self-righteous. And we're going to keep extending ourselves. We're going to keep that door open, right? Never giving up. Why? Because of the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. We'll be initiators. Think, I called them. I invited them. I'm tired of asking them to come. We don't quit. You remember the Christmas carol, right? When the nephew kept inviting Ebenezer Scrooge every year to Christmas, and finally he came. Don't quit on anybody because God never quits on you. That's the mentality we ought to have. Here's the second thing. Repentance is all about returning, right? It's not about where you are, where you get to. Well, I, you know, I've arrived. I've cleaned up my act. I've, you know, overcome these problems. No, no, it's, it's just about direction, not position, not, not location, not how far you've come. It's just the turning, Look, who doesn't still have a long way to go? 
Everybody does. But as soon as you see a change, an openness, a responsiveness, you welcome that. You embrace that. You, you celebrate that. And that's the attitude. So we're always encouraged by any movement that people make, any step, any inclination. That's what it's about. And finally, there's, there's always that understanding there's a sacrifice involved and a celebration to engage in. Boy, the sacrifice the father made, his reputation, right? I mean, you think of the embarrassment he had to tolerate, the scorn and ridicule he had from other people. You want to reconcile with somebody? Trust me. People are going to think, what are you hanging with them for? What they did to you? Why would you ever let them back in your life? You're going to be laughed at for grace. People won't understand it. But if you've experienced it, if you've been transformed by it, then you extend it. Doesn't it grieve your heart to think that there's some folks that have never come back to this church or come back to your family or relationship with you because they think you wouldn't welcome them back? Pay the price. That's the sacrifice. The ultimate sacrifice, obviously, wasn't the fatted calf. It was the only begotten son who gave his life that we could return. And there's a party. There's a party we ought to have when any person and every person, right, moves toward Jesus in any way. When they come back, look, the national championship or the Super Bowl shouldn't outdo what we do in the church when people return to God. I mean, we ought to think, that's, that's nothing compared to the kind of celebrations we have. And being a church that seeks God's righteousness is a church that seeks the lost sons and daughters who are there for them when they return, even though they got a long way to go, and who celebrate that they've been found, that they're back in the Father's house. This morning, I'm going to ask the band to come back up, and this is a song that I've been thinking about. I, I, I wanted you to hear what it's like in the Father's house what we can be a, a part of, what we can be included into, what, what the invitation is. This whole story, whether you think of yourself or think of someone else, think of the Father. This is how He is. So reflect Him today. God, I pray in this place and in this moment, whether we've seen ourselves wayward in our unrighteousness or wayward in our self-righteousness, we'd see you extending your love to us, willing to forgive and restore. Might our heart be softened to be back with you, in fellowship with you, in union with you. Oh, God, no place better than connected once again to the one who created us, loved us, and gave his son for us that we too could be sons and daughters. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. <laughs> That's about as much of on beat I can be. I don't know how it was for you growing up, but I have eight brothers and sisters, and so we would hear oftentimes, just wait till Dad gets home. And it was never celebration. It's all good and embrace, Right? But the message today is the Father is in the room. And when he's there, it's totally different than what you thought it was going to be. I hope this message just wasn't for you today. 
I hope there's another you will share it with. And maybe you'll share it with them by your change of attitude, by your extension of welcome and embrace to them. I know this is a time in our service when we talk about giving, and I thank you for your faithfulness to give, to share some of that inheritance the Father's already given to you. Uh, there's many ways to do it. There's, you know, we, some people are mailing it online. There, there's text to give. Some folks are, are even uh, uh, going to, you know, the computer and making a regular contribution through uh, automatic withdrawals. And I just want to say this about it. I think in this current culture, giving has to be more of an act of worship than it has been before. Because now you can't do it just, uh, you know, spontaneously when the basket comes by. Now you got to do it intentionally. Now you have to decide it's a, a part of a conviction for me, not just a convenience. Now it's an act of worship to one who's worthy. Thanks for your faithfulness in giving in this way. We have one final song, and then we'll wrap up and get you out. Thanks. Hey, Ed, help all you rocks to cry out. I mean, come on. Rich, great to have you here today. Thank you so much. Man, if you, if you like the horn, just let us know. Just send us a little chat, you know. Uh, I just, you got these cameras. Let's just help out here. Uh, you know Jody. You know Justina. You know Josh. And you're only seeing half of him, but there's more there. Okay. And there's Mike in the back. He's the band leader. Richie on drums. And Big Matt way in the back. That's our band every week. Grateful to worship God with you. Thanks for being here. Continue to share the Father's love. Blessing to you, church.